You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 38. Welcome to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits, everybody. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am super excited and, as always, grateful that you have decided to join me here for about a half an hour to uh, discuss college success habits. Um, Today is going to be a really great episode because most of us are feeling the winter doldrums right about now. Not necessarily anybody located in Southern California where I live, but certainly in a majority of the nation. Uh, we're going to go into emotional regulation and how to um, think about your emotions, how to deal with your feelings, how to understand how thoughts create feelings. It's going to be really, really amazing episode because in my research for the book and my research for this show and everything that I read in order to go to high schools and colleges to speak, I'm constantly learning more and hearing from students that I speak in front of about how um, depression is so prevalent now um, within our youth. And uh, the statistics show that you know suicides and depression and all of these things are, are dramatically up. I think that our smartphones and social media have a huge huge part in this um, while I think it really makes us feel disconnected from everyone around us while simultaneously connecting us to millions of faceless people that uh, we don't meet yet somehow we're trying to keep up with them right we see them on Instagram everybody seems like they're having the, the best and grandiest life um, whereas at the same time no one's really no one's posting themselves crying and feeling sad and sitting in the dark and so i think it's time we we pull this out of of the shadows and we really bring it to the forefront where we have an opportunity to talk about it in a place where we can feel um, safe and comfortable and, and understand that everyone is feeling something similar right i learned in addiction recovery and i talk about on my other podcast from sobriety to recovery about how we're all suffering and that's what led us to addiction it's the habits you're creating now. It's the thoughts that you're letting run wild inside of your head now that will be the precursors to the addictive behaviors you have in the future. It's one of the reasons why I think it's extremely important that in as early as middle school, we're discussing emotions and how we regulate them and how we understand them in order for us to become uh, more mature young adults when we get into high school, where we all remember, you know, unless you're one of those lucky few where high school felt like a ferocious click machine and everyone was jostling to, f to figure out where they fit in. And when I, even when I said lucky few, it makes me think of the quote unquote popular kids back from my, in my high school, even they were dealing with their own suffering, their own jostling um, for, you know, acclaim and for popularity amongst their, their own little crew. And in a lot of ways, the way they were able to gain some popularity points was by picking on people um, around them. And so, because, you know, everybody can laugh and now, the, now all of a sudden they're the jokester. And I mean, you know, no doubt we've all, we all have seen it regardless of what side of that we were on. And when we get into college, it's the opportunity for none of that to, none of that matters anymore. Right, the the the, the athletes are going to do what the athletes do, and the nerds are going to do what the nerds do, and everybody's going to do whatever they want to do because it's gigantic. And it, even if you're on a two three thousand 
person campus, you still, it's like you, you came to college to get your education to succeed in life. Whereas it seemed more about the social aspect in high school. And for me, I allowed the social aspect in college to take over for so many years. And it's why I feel so strongly about college success habits as a, as an entire movement and not just, you know, the idea of, Oh, we'll figure it out and then go off into the real world. And that's where you can start to adjust the bad habits that you developed in college. The bad habits started in middle school. The bad habits started, kept going in high school. And then they just continued on into college. Unless you put a lot of self development and personal development work into yourself in college, you're going to, find that all you're doing is repeating behaviors that you have been um, doing since you were, you know, a teenager and you didn't even realize that you were doing it. So I'm super excited about talking about emotional self-regulation. But before I do, I want to cover, go back and do a little bit of review of what I covered in the previous episodes. For a lot of you, you're starting school soon or you already have. It just depends. Um, Here in Southern California, a lot of the campuses have not started back up yet. Um, but they're all getting ready to, you know, it seems like half of them I drive by are still welcoming back students and the other half are saying, hey, can't wait to see you first week of February. So wherever you're at, go back and listen to episode 35, 36, and 37 where I discuss preparing for the semester, getting acclimated to the new semester as far as um, your schedule and your duties and responsibilities. And then episode 37, long-term execution of the syllabi, um, is actually where I want to give it a few minutes before we we move on to emotional self-regulation. One of the articles I've read over the last few weeks was talking about how all the best students who get A's apparently say that you should write a term paper in three days. And and before we go off and, and, and take that as a fact, in realizing that there are, million ways to skin a cat. So whatever works best for you is 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 what you're gonna, you're going to do. But I've talked a lot about I, did, I talked about it in the book. I've talked about it on the show before about preparing to write that term paper throughout the semester. Because when you sit down to write it, there's going to be a lot of research and you don't just want to be going on Wikipedia and cutting and pasting and trying to add your own thoughts, right? You want to be putting in actual effort. The purpose of these papers is to teach you how to schedule things out how to prepare, how to research, how to problem solve, how to take vast amounts of information, use your critical thinking process and actually put it out into words that are tangible with thoughts and ideas that that move people, right? I mean, this is these are going to be things you're going to need to be able to do in the real working world. And this article talked about how, you know, write the term paper in three days and always getting an A. When I talk about preparing for it the entire semester, it's like with my journalism stories, right? The night before it's due, I can't necessarily sit down and write a journalism story if I haven't already interviewed everybody I need to interview, done all the research, have my notes in order, right? When you get out in the real world, if you're going to be a journalist, then yes. I mean, a lot of times you're assigned a story in the middle of the afternoon and it's going to print the next morning. So yes, you are writing these stories in a very short amount of time. But in college, as you're learning to do this, Right, you might be given a week or two to get a story together. The night before, and you don't have a lot of experience in, in writing these stories, you may not know what interviews you need. You may not realize that you don't have that one last quote that's really going to tie up the story nicely. So you put effort in b- the, before you're actually going to write it to make sure you have everything that you need. And this is where the article I read, and I didn't bookmark it, but I definitely read it and, and, it, and I took from it that 
what this didn't seem like this story covered was the amount of effort that the students had put in researching and putting all of the information that they wanted in, together into a file. And so, yeah, if you think you can write a paper in three days and it's going to be your best work, more power to you. My argument on the other side of that would be that writing the paper is 80% of the work, right? That, that's a big chunk of it, but that's not the part that really makes it shine. It'd be like if you're going to do some interior decoration on your house, where you're going to put the couch and where you're going to put the TV, that's that, that usually is just figured out by the layout of the room. But where are you going to put the little knickknacks that mean the most? Where are you going to hang that picture that, you, that you've always wanted to hang once you had your own place? Where are you going to put the, the little things that are going to make your life happier when you see them? That's that last 20%, and that's the most important part. The couch is going to be wherever the couch is. But the kind of pillows that you have on it, the kind of blanket that you're going to use there, that's the part that matters. And just like with a paper, you can write 80% of it, and it can be good, but is it great? Have you been able to go in there and add the little finishing touches that really make it shine? I wrote my book in 60 hours, 30 hours for the first draft, 30 hours for the second draft. And ultimately, I have gone back in and read that book 10 more times looking for just little ways to finesse it. I'm done doing that now. But during the part where I was still trying to add some material, I was very mindful of that. And so I'm just saying to you, be mindful how you're preparing for these big assignments. It's you know one last analogy. When you go into a coffee shop and you order a cappuccino, Right, Anybody can make a cappuccino. It's that amazing barista that can draw a four-leaf clover or a pumpkin smile or a heart in it. And that's what you remember. That's what, you, oh my, that's, why you're, that's what you take a picture of and post on Instagram, not just a boring old cappuccino. Making the cappuccino, that's 90% of the work. Learning how to make that heart probably took a lot of effort. And it's only 10% of the work, but it's the part that, re- that you remember. It's the part that makes that cappuccino shine. So waiting till three days before and expecting you're going to go online and grab all the information that you need and you're going to be able to put together a good paper, that is, that is not a reasonable thought process. And down the line when you're working in a job and they say we need this put together in three days, you'll have the experience of gathering up information and doing it at a slower pace. And at that point, you can learn how to condense it. At that point, you can experience it that way. But when you read articles that say, write a whole paper in three days, just remember that it doesn't mean it's going to be your best work. And that's a really great segue into this part of emotional self-regulation. Because in college, your best work, the best version of you, is going to be able to show up when you can understand your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your results, and you can begin to see how they all um, interact with one another, and they all play off how you behave in each one of those segments. When I first started to learn about emotional self-regulation, it really came about whenever I got sober. And one of my life coaches talks a lot about um, being an emotional child versus, versus an emotional adult. And that the emotional child acts on a whim, isn't being mindful of how their immediate emotions are steering their actions. Basically, they're just reacting, right? You 
if you're a long-term listener of this show, you realize there's a difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is right off the cuff. You're, you're, you're emotionally charged and you react. Whereas when you're being an emotional adult, you're being mindful of how your feelings and emotions um, are interacting within yourself and you're, you are being in charge of your responses, right? And when you start to dive into what exactly it feels like to be in charge of your feelings and emotions, you first have to understand where your feelings and emotions come from. Your feelings and emotions come from your thoughts. And these thoughts are triggered by events, circumstances, things that happen around you. Let me repeat that so that we really can get into this. Your feelings and emotions are caused by your thoughts, which are triggered by events and circumstances. Right? An event or a circumstance, it can be something that happens directly to you. Somebody grabs a book out of your hand. Um, somebody offers you a protein bar. It can be something that happens directly to you. It can be something that happens to other people that are with within your eyesight, within your ears, with somebody in your family. You watch somebody else get a book snatched out of their hand. You watch somebody else get given a protein bar. And it can be anything that happens in society in general. When 9-11 happened, it affected the entire nation, although only a small portion of us were actually in New York City. Right For me, I was living in University of Florida, and whenever I woke up and saw it on television, it brought out a lot of thoughts, which, which, which caused a lot of feelings, that, which created actions, which brought about results. So picture, every whenever you're trying to figure out your emotions, we want to always remember, and this, and this works, my, my, I learned this from Brooke Castillo, my life coach, she's amazing, and, and she even talks about how she did not create this, this has always existed, she is just the one explaining it to us, and therefore I am now explaining it to you, that events trigger thoughts, which cause feelings, which drive actions, which, we, which create outcomes, Okay, and that, those results are exactly what you are experiencing in your life. So when an event occurs, right? Let's say that um, you meet someone really cool, you exchange phone numbers. All right, that's all. Events have to be facts. I was listening about this today on her show. All events are facts. What happened? I met someone. They gave me their number. I got their number. Right. Now, your expectation is that they're going to call you. When they don't call you, the thought you have was triggered by the fact that you gave them your number expecting them to call. That was, that was the fact. I gave that person my number. I, they said they were going to call. They didn't call. That's the fact. They didn't call. The thought you have from that is what's going to bring about your emotion. Thoughts like thinking is taking information and manipulating it for a better understanding and use in your life. When we take in information through our five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, these senses enable us to experience the entire world around us. Down, some other episode, I'll talk about how the unconscious mind um, ends up, you know, the conscious mind deletes, distorts, and generalizes everything you experience because it cannot take in all the information that the senses provide to it. The unconscious mind can't and records all of it. And if you do any kind of hypnotherapy, if you do any kind of uh, timeline um, 
time dynamics where you go back in your timeline, you'll be amazed at what your unconscious mind remembers. Like literally it remembers everything. But your conscious mind can't. So it deletes, it distorts, it generalizes all the information that's brought to it through the, through the five senses. And this is what is creating the thoughts. Right? When we form concepts, when we engage in problem solving, reasoning, making decisions, this is thinking in a tangible form. And it occurs because of our five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. The act of thinking is what produces these thoughts. Your brain does its thinking. These thoughts come out. And this happens in a millisecond. So it's not like you're sitting there waiting for this thought to come. It comes that we have like 90,000 thoughts a day. You have plenty of thoughts. <laughs> well, that tree looks green. Well, that squirrel looks tiny. Well, that, that dog looks mean. Well, that dog looks happy. Like you can look at a picture and have 20 thoughts about it. Your brain can't possibly expect you to, to even begin to understand all of those thoughts. Again, that's where we delete, distort, and generalize. A thought, it can be an idea, it can be an image, it can be a sound, it can be one of them, or it can be all of them, but they will always cause our emotional feelings. When you feel something, it is sparked by a thought in your brain. So you have an idea, you see a picture, you hear a sound, you smell something, you taste something, you touch something, it produces a thought. I mean, you literally start, you're having these while you sleep, you're having these when the alarm goes off, you're always having thoughts, right? So the thought is what creates the feeling or emotion. If the, if the event was the person didn't call, What's the thought that that makes you have? A lot of the times we want to skip over the thought part and we only want to focus on the feeling or emotion that we have. And this makes emotional self-regulation very difficult because it's within that understanding of the thought that we're able to fully understand why we feel the way we do, why we're having the emotions that we're having, right? feelings, uh, when I Googled this, and I keep coming up with it, there's some person a long time ago, like hundreds of years ago, came up with a list that feelings and emotions are like happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, surprise, contempt, anger, pride, shame, embarrassment, and excitement. If you Google what is what are feelings, I'm pretty sure this shows up. Now, in deeper research, um, what I was able to come across was that emotions are event-driven. Whereas feelings are learned behaviors that are usually in hibernation until they're triggered by an external event, right? So if the person doesn't call, which is the external event, the, the feeling you might have is of sadness, right? That's an emotion. That comes from, that's a feeling that you're having because of the person not calling. Now, if the emotion that that brings out in you is depression, where for days and days and days and days you feel depressed because you really like that person and they didn't call. Now we're getting into emotions. A lot of the times whenever you hear people talk about feelings and emotions, they're interchangeable. And I've, do, and I've done that and I will continue to do that. But tonight when I was researching for this episode, I came across the, 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 this, this whatever article it was that said, emotions are event-driven, whereas feelings are learned behaviors. It's like happiness is a feeling versus joy being an emotion. You know, joy involves very little cognitive awareness, according to this article, and it just you feel good without consciously deciding to, right? And so it would be like if 
you are you you you're happy because somebody gave you a gift versus you just walk around all throughout the day with a feeling uh with this joyful emotion right even if you see something bad even if somebody yells at you you're like oh well that's a bummer but you're still joyful that's your emotion when you have this um this emotion of sad the, let's make sure i'm getting this right Emotions are event-driven, so sad would be the emotion, depression would be the feeling. Um, when you have this feeling, this person did not call, what's important is to figure out why you feel sad. Now, if you feel sad because you really liked the person and you thought that there was a connection, then let's go back and look at the thought that, that brought that about. If you have this feeling or emotion um, of, of depression because this is the seventh person who's taken your phone number and they haven't called you, right, then the, what is the thought that's driving that feeling, right? If, if you, the person doesn't call and you immediately think, well, I'm clearly not attractive, I'm clearly not lovable, I'm clearly not blah, 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 right, whatever negative thing that, you, that, that you're thinking, you don't know that. That's not a fact. That's a thought. That's an opinion. The person could have lost your number. The, the, the person could have gotten busy. There's a lot of things. And, and I thought about this today. I was like, are we just fooling ourselves by coming up with a different way of thinking about it? But when you're having a thought that's based upon an opinion, right? And thoughts are opinions. When, when you're having thoughts that aren't based on facts, then all you're doing is just choosing to feel the negative emotion. You give the person your phone number. That's the fact. They don't call. That's the fact. I'm not lovable is what you're thinking, but that's an opinion. You could easily think, well, the person may have lost my number or the person may be too busy or you know what? Obviously, there wasn't that good of a connection because they didn't call. And you know what? That's okay. I'll make a connection with someone else. You can choose how your feelings and emotions are going to be inside of you by thinking about the thought that's creating them. See, feelings are extremely critical. I mean, they are a critical part of how we create meaning to the events and the, the circumstances in our lives. Going back up to events and circumstances, these are facts. I drove my car to work. That is a fact. Someone cut me off on my way to work. That's a fact. Now, I could immediately be angry with them because they cut me off. And not because my thought is they don't respect me, they don't care about my safety, whatever it is. Whereas the reality to them could be, oh my God, I'm running late to work and I'm going to get fired if I show up late again, or my wife is sick, or my kids just got into, into an accident and I need to get to them as fast as possible. You don't know what that person is going through. So you, you, you have this feeling, this emotion. Right, this emotions that an emotion again, event driven. That would be the anger you're feeling right there whenever that person cuts you off. Now, if you have a constant feeling of of agitation inside of you, then that is going to be where the that that's going to be more of a learned behavior. If you're if you just are always on the edge, agitated, no matter what, day after day after day after day, you're agitated. Right, that's when it becomes this feeling, which again we just discussed are learned behaviors that, that just sit in there hibernated until they're triggered by an external event. Right. Whereas these emotions that are event driven and they're they're so similar, I'm not gonna get too deep into that rabbit hole because even now as I say it for like the fifth time, I'm like, What the hell does that even mean? What's important to note is that 
your feelings and emotions are driven by your thoughts. And when, when you focus, when people focus more on their feelings than, than the actions, this is where addictions and sporadic compulsions can end up completely overriding the, your, the, your actions and behaviors, right? If you're so into your feelings that, so this person doesn't call you, right? So the fact is the event, they don't call you. The thought is I'm not lovable. The feeling that you have is of sadness, right? So then you decide you're going to skip class all day. You're going to lay on the couch and you're not going to do anything. The results are you fall behind in class, right? You miss something important. You're, you're not, you're not caught up right now. This action where you let this feeling override everything else, uh, it's given you a result where now it's actually going to only make you feel more sad and depressed, right? First, the person didn't call, which made you feel unlovable or a failure or what, right? Let's go with failure. And then that, because now you feel like a failure, you don't want to go to class because woe is me. I'm probably going to screw up there too. The results are you miss class and now you get a bad grade on the next test. Now you're not prepared for the next assignment. See, when you look at the life coaching model that Castillo talks about so much, it goes events, thoughts, feelings, actions, results. And if you're not emotionally self-regulating yourself, like, let's not get too caught up right now in, in, in sad being an emotion and depression of feeling because I don't want to get us lost in the weeds because I'm, I'm not even fully able to explain that as, as, and articulate it as well as I would like, but you know what you feel. And when you allow yourself to get caught up in your feelings, your actions will be based on the way that you feel. Right When you can show appreciation for your values, whether that's dependability, reliability, creativity, uh, compassion, uh, positivity, when you can put more of your, your attention towards your values, then even when a, a, something emotionally sad happens, you can still stick with what it is you, sh- you should be doing. I'll, I'll tell a story this way. I remember breaking up with a girlfriend in college, and uh, we were—it was long distance, and it was—you know—it needed to go that way. We were way too far away from each other, and so we broke up. And it wasn't for years later when we finally talked again that I found out that uh, the next day from us breaking up, this was in the winter. Um, she had slipped down on some ice. She broke her arm. She was an avid piano player. Um, she was a straight A student. Eventually went on to you know to to go to pre med. I mean just just the sharpest tool ever. You know way above way way out of my league. And looking back, I just, I remember when she told me this story, and she's like, and she aced that semester. She felt crestfallen, very sad, very disappointed that our relationship broke up. But she held strong to her values. Right? She respected herself. Right? She had passion for her schooling. She had passion for her life. She was committed to getting great grades. She was dependable to others. She was in service to others all the time. She persevered. These were values that she held strongly to. So even though she was sad, she was emotionally self-regulated enough to continue with the actions that were going to give her the results of a straight-A student on her way to pre-med. It was amazing. And at the time, I didn't really, it didn't absorb in me as much as it does now when I retell that story. But for me, my feelings and emotions in college always, always, I don't like to use definitives, generally overrode 
my rational mind. And so I, my actions were based on my feelings and emotions, which were being created by my thoughts. So I wasn't in control of anything. Right? Consistent emotional self-regulation requires that you focus on and you appreciate your deepest values above and beyond your feelings. Because feelings, if you have 90,000 thoughts a day, you're having 90,000 feelings a day. When you're an emotional child and you're acting on a whim and you're not being mindful of your values, you're not being mindful of how your immediate emotions are steering your actions, then you are reacting. Right? You have to be emotionally self-regulating yourself. And this is going to be really difficult, guys. Like, unless you're one of those people who was raised by emotionally mature parents, which a majority of people aren't, our society lacks a tremendous amount of emotionally mature parents, and therefore we are just pumping out emotionally immature kids from high school and college by the tens of thousands. When you're an emotional adult and you're being mindful of how your feelings, your values, your emotions are being, like, how are you in charge of those? Right? If you're in charge of your feelings and emotions and you allow your values to supersede, right? your values are always more important than your feelings and emotions, then your actions will show that. How to feel better on a day-to-day basis, it's literally consistent emotional self-regulation, being an emotional adult. I get so excited talking about this that I, I feel like I'm slurring some of the words here because this is what... I talk about when I go and speak at high schools and colleges. These are the things you have to be mindful of. I met someone with an organiza- from an organization, I think it's called C5 um, or 5Cs. Um, anyways, it was uh, pretty amazing when I met them. Yeah, the C5 um, is what the organization's called. And they do a ton of work with, with people as young as 12 all the way up into high school and it's they've realized that there is a lack of emotional self-regulation in all of these students right because they're not being raised with how to deal with their thoughts so their feelings are their, their thoughts are running wild and their feelings are running wild when you violate your values and emotional adulthood right when you violate these things inevitably this is going to bring about negative feelings right and negative feelings are, are what's going to stop you from getting into action. While, whereas if you stay true to your emotional adulthood, your values, your self-responsibility, this will bring out a better and more authentic and more empowered sense of self within you. This is going to build the habits you want long-term for the success that you desire. Right? When you feel empowered, you will have a this empowered sense of self, which will build, and it will build, and it will build, right? And then it will just continuously, after time, you will just inherently behave in this positive manner. You will inherently put your values and, and the, the results that you want ahead of your emotions and feelings. And that's how I'm going to close it out today, because I really think that above all anything else is that as we dive more into this emotional self-regulation, we realize that the habits that we build within ourselves, the values that we hold dear, and you can Google a list of values. I did. I came up with like 30 of them. I didn't even realize a lot of them were values. What these values are, these become the undercurrent for how you live your entire life. 
when somebody inherently does good in a stressful situation when the chips are down versus someone who inherently does bad, Whenever they're stressed out and the chips are down, it's because of the values inside of them. And it's because they've been able to push through their feelings and emotions if they're the good and the thoughts that bring those about and understand that who they are now in this moment speaks volumes for who they are as a person. The analogy I like to talk about, if you're a Walking Dead fan, if you've ever watched that, and I'm sure if, if you've ever watched a Breaking Bad or a Mad Men, there's probably certain characters that will that will do this too. So whatever TV show you can think of that you've really enjoyed, I mean, heck, you can even think about something like uh, Game of Thrones when it comes to Khaleesi the princess and, and Jon Snow. But I really love talking about this in the terms of Negan versus Rick in The Walking Dead. Zombies take over the entire planet. Chips are always down. Everyone's always hungry. And Rick's out there running around trying to put a community together where people can feel safe. People can feel um, that, they, that they've got a sense of community. They can feel that people love them and they care for them and, and they bond together and they unite and they always stand up for one another and nobody abuses somebody else. They don't take more than what they need. They don't take more than what they should, right? He, his values were so deep that no matter what the thought he might have had at the time, right? Zombies are chasing us, and one of my friends falls down behind me, and oh my God, if I go back and help them, the zombies were going to surround us. He ran back every time. Hell, he blew up a bridge and killed himself so that the zombies wouldn't come over it and completely take over the place that they were living, right? No matter what, the, the fact was, no matter what the event was, no matter what thought that brought out, that feeling of, or emotion, his values were so strong that it allowed to override that feeling of scared and made him go back and help his friends. Whereas Negan, the lunatic who wields a bat with barbed wire wrapped around it, calling himself the saviors, he scares the hell out of everybody. If you don't listen to what he says, he burns your face with an iron or he beats your upside the head with a baseball bat. He ruled by fear. He ruled by scarcity mode. He thought if he didn't have enough food, then he needed more food. He needed so much food that he had a closet of food because he didn't ever want to go hungry. He didn't care if other people went hungry. He wanted to make sure he didn't go hungry. His thought was, there's not enough food in this world. There's not enough safety in this world, so I need to have as much of it as possible because he was operating from a feeling of scared, enough scarcity, and so therefore, his actions were, I'm going to run around, I'm going to scare the hell out of everybody and make them subservient to me because I need to be in charge so that I'm never scared, so that I'm never hungry. The results he got was a bunch of people who were afraid of him, but ready to turn on him in a moment's notice. And while a lot of those people tried to battle to the end, it was only because they were convinced that they too were Negan and that if they didn't fight for what little food he was giving them, then if somebody else won, they'd have even less food. It's all about your values. It's all about controlling your feelings and emotions so that your self doesn't just allow one bad thing to derail you. Oh my goodness, you know, uh, my boyfriend or girlfriend and I got into a fight. That's it. I, 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 I'm so sad. I'm going to skip class. I'm going to call in sick for work. And now you've missed out on an important assignment. Now you've missed out on some uh, money that you needed from that job so that you could afford your rent or you could afford some food or you could go out and have fun with your friends on Thursday night, right? All because you allowed a feeling or emotion to drive an action, which you later on 
were upset about. Then the next day that boyfriend or girlfriend calls up, you make up, everything's happy, but now you've still missed that class. Now you've still missed out on that money you could have made from work. Everything's happy. The relationship's good to go now. That emotional feeling, you know, speed bump that you hit last night, it's over. But yet the repercussions of it, because you allowed those feelings and emotions to override your critical thinking, so you skipped class, you skipped work, and now you're still paying for that. Meanwhile, the relationship's fine. Understand that the event was you got an argument. The thought doesn't have to be, well, that person hates me, that they're going to break up with me, and therefore I'm going to be sad and I'm going to, I'm going to skip work. You might still break up, but you know what? Rents still do. Bills are still due. You still want to go out and have pizza with your friends on Thursday night. If you value commitment to your responsibilities, if you, val- if you value perseverance in the face of, of uh, any kind of obstacle, then even if your boyfriend or girlfriend and you get into a fight, you're still going to go to class. You're still going to go to work. Because your values can override any immediate emotion or thought that is getting in the way of your success. I'm telling you, the more we talk about this, the more I know it's going to touch you. Because if you're sitting there and you're listening to sad songs in the dark because you think no one cares about you, no one loves you, no one wants to support you at school, you you don't have any friends, I'm telling you, these are all things that you're creating in your head. No matter how different you are, no matter what thing you, you, you might, your favorite thing in the world could be elephants that dress up in emo makeup. I guarantee you, you can find five people who are into that. You just got to get out of your house and go find them. If you get yourself trapped in your head thinking that you aren't a success, that you, that no one in your family has ever been a success, so you're not going to be a success, whatever negative thought you're having, first, if it's, if it's not built into something that's factual, then it's it's just an opinion. And all thoughts are coming from these events, from these circumstances, right? And if, if it's not a fact, if it, you're thinking it's a fact, you're having a thought that, nope, boyfriend doesn't love me. In many cases, unless they openly say, I don't love you. And even then, lots of people have said, I don't love you, and then secretly loved that person, but they're afraid to express that they really love that person. So therefore, they just act benevolent, like not benevolent, ambivalent about the whole thing. Like even somebody saying, I don't like you to your face, doesn't. that's not really a fact because the fact is that they said it, but is the fact that they really meant it? Right, this is where feelings and emotions and being able to say, you know what? Sometimes you can't prove everything is fact when it, right, when it comes to what somebody says to you. All you can do is go on how it makes you think and then how that thought makes you feel and what you do with it. Because if somebody bullied you and you th- and, and, and the thought was, you know, that person hates me and they want and, and they wish I was never born, that's that's a thought. That's an opinion. Because what's reality is that person might see a talent in you that they wish they had. They might see that you have uh, the family life that they've always wanted. And you think that they hate you when in reality they're jealous of you. Somebody bullies you. Somebody takes a book from you at school. That's the fact. 
the thought you have from that, it, 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 you might think, well, they, they clearly hate me. They think I'm a piece of crap. In reality, they might think that you're better than them. And the only way they can make themselves feel better is to bully you. And that in itself is a problem on their end. Because the, the fact is that they, they, they see you. They think that you have whatever life you have. Their thought is their life's better than mine. I need to knock them down a peg to make myself feel better. Your life may or may not be better, right? And who's to say? If I've got two bags of chips and you only have one bag of chips, you might think my life's better because I have two bags of chips. Somebody else who we don't even know about who's got 40 bags of chips thinks we both suck. <laughs> so it's, it's, I mean, right? It's all perception. It's all perception. All right. So that's emotional self-regulation. We have just begun to get into this. We're going to talk so we're, next week. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited about this. We're going to get into approach, avoid, and attack motivations. And these are all stemming from your feelings and emotions, right? When Again, all going back to thoughts. We are going to learn how to master our thoughts. 90,000 of these damn things a day. You can't stop that, but you can but you can start really grasping strong control over what you allow those thoughts to make you feel and then the actions and the results that those feelings will create. Thank you so much. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review. I'm getting a ton of people listening to this on Spotify. I would love it if any of you could just go over to iTunes, even if you don't necessarily use it. Just give me five stars. Write a quick review. It really helps with the rankings. It's all about social proof. Yes, as much as I, I talk some smack about social media, and I've barely even begun to touch on my Instagram account. It's just too much right now. Um, it, it gives social proof, and it lets other people know that there are people out there who find this valuable. And as always, always, I really appreciate that you've listened to me. I went 11 minutes over and I did not mean to. Until we meet again, take care of one another. Be inclusive, not exclusive. Realize that we're all going through our own stuff, that we all have some suffering about something that we're going through. And if man, if we just stop trying to knock other people down to make ourselves feel better, I'm telling you what, this world would be a much better place. Until we meet again. See you soon. Bye-bye.